Good morning and grand rising. We are here with another episode of the Who Do and Chill podcast. I am so excited to be here. We've been gone for a little while, but we are back with season five. With me, as always, is my beautiful partner in crime, as well as love and light, as well as my co-host of the show, the one and only Latoya Alexandria. Good morning, Grand Rising, Good Light, Bon Lundi, Je suis la Cici Vec, La Magnifique, Sir Bayo. And welcome to season five. Wow, I can't believe it's been five seasons already. Can you it's been five seasons. It's been five seasons. We're coming up on our one year anniversary. What are you getting me? Now, if I told you what I was getting you, then you'd ruin the surprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Soya. So I'm ready for today. Like, I think today is going to be one of our best shows. I think that uh, the ancestor that we're going to speak on today, I think we're going to put a smile on her face as well. And I'm really excited as to where we're going with season five. For those of you, I don't know if any of you listen or like me, I'm a big Halloween head. I love Halloween. I think it's my it's my favorite time of year. So for season five of the Who Doing Chill podcast, we are going to be bringing you guys a lot of stories, spooky ghost stories, uh, folklore, a surrounding hoodoo conjure root work, as well as some voodoo as well. And yeah, I'm excited for that. What about you, Toya? Okay, this is my favorite time of the year. I love a good spooky story. I'm a big horror fan. So this is going to be wonderful. I love who we're talking about today. um, The ancestor that we're bringing to light. Because honestly, I have not heard this story uh, told by Black people. African-Americans or any person of color. And I'm so happy that we are bringing the story to light today because we're going to really break it down. And um, this is someone who I truly, truly admire. And I love this person. Um, As I began to research her story and just, we broke down the bits and pieces here. Just, I found a, a newfound love and respect for her. Me too. I, I'm. I, what I love about what we're, what we're able to do today is actually humanize her. And you're right. I haven't heard, you know, too many black people speak about this. I think I've heard about this one time on a podcast where I think one of her descendants was actually speaking about her legend. Um, but you're right. A lot of black people do not speak about this legend. And, and the information that you guys are going to find is very, very choppy. It's missing a lot of uh, factual and I think key elements to her story. And Toya and I have decided to do a beautiful expose today on none other than our lovely Miss Julia Bernard Brown. Okay. And if you guys have never heard of her before, you know, I do implore you to Google her. There are some pretty cool videos on YouTube that you can watch. Um, just for entertainment, but once again, we do feel like they lack a lot of the meat that we are going to break down for you today as it relates to Miss Brown. So let's get into it. Let's get into her backstory. 
Miss Julia Bernard. We want to venerate her today and we want to honor her today and we want to do her justice. So, Seer, I'll let you begin the story. The Hoodoo and Chill podcast will return after this short ad break. Why make major decisions without knowing the outcome beforehand? Would you like to know where your relationship is headed or what the future holds in store for you? Seer Bale and I want to assist you in making all the right decisions so that you may live your best life. Are you seeking a new career? Does your love life need insight? Or maybe you want to connect with your ancestors or past loved ones. The realm of divination holds all the answers to your future. Allow us to use our psychic abilities, bone reading, cardamancy, tarot, and mediumship to uncover the answers to your future. Go to hoodooconjurerootwork.com under classes and services to book your appointment today. Your spirit guides are waiting to speak to you. That's hoodooconjurerootwork.com to uncover your destiny today. Julia Brown was originally born Miss Julia Bernard in 1845. So for those of you who may have heard the legend of Frenier in Louisiana and, and Miss Julia Brown, she is a real person. There is census evidence of her as well as uh, they wrote about her funeral in the newspaper. So she was a real person. But today, I want you all to stay with us to the end of this show because we are going to dig a little bit deeper than just the legend that is about her. Now, the first thing that I want you all to notate is the date of her birth. She was born in 1845. That's significant. What was going on at that time? Well, the North and the South were very tense with one another. Another really good fact to remember is that slavery had not been abolished in America and this woman was born in the New Orleans, Louisiana area. And for those of you who do not know, New Orleans was the largest slave market in America. It was the largest, okay? And, you know, when people would talk about being sent down to the South, especially into New Orleans for slavery, it would scare people who might have been enslaved a little bit further north, like in Virginia or in the Carolinas, you didn't want to go to New Orleans. So I want you all to understand the backdrop of how this woman came up and what type of society was at hand during her time as she grew up. Now, the next portion of this before I pass this back over to Toya, is that what really stuck out to me about this is that this woman was a healer. Not only that, she was considered an oracle or she was well known for her premonitions, her seership, her psychic abilities, if that's what you choose to call it. I think about, well, if she was born in 1845, who taught her this? 
this lets me know that this woman obviously had to be of either Haitian descent because the Haitian community was very prevalent in New Orleans at this time in this in this in this region or her mother or father or grandmother might have been a direct African descendant who taught her and schooled her. Julia Brown did not move to New Orleans between 1845 and 1860s. I'm sorry, she moved to New Orleans in the 1860s. This woman spent the first 20 something years of her life either on a slave plantation, she would have witnessed the Civil War. She might have been the healer amongst the slaves that she worked around. Who says that she was even in bondage? We don't know. But more than likely, being a Black woman in this area at this time, she would have been birthed into slavery. So before we even get into what happened later on, I think that it's very important to acknowledge her backstory, how she came up, who she was, and that this was a woman who had been trained in the art of indigenous medicine, cultural ritual, spiritual practices for 20 years of her life on a slave plantation. You know, Sarah, I think that this is such a significant and important piece because when we think about a 20-year-old nowadays, we're going to say that that was maybe equivalent to a 30 or 35-year-old back in 1845. What I love about Julia is that this is something that she was born into. This is not something that she was just, you know, happened to get into when she reached New Orleans. This is something that she had been doing since an adolescent. This woman was so powerful. When you think about it, she had been healing since being a young child more than likely, or actually doing some sort of um, premonition or something in the art of voodoo. Now in voodoo, I know for a fact you start as a child. So this woman was as powerful as a voodoo practitioner or priest or priestess would be today at the age of maybe 40 years old while she was 20. And that is absolutely amazing. I would love to know where her roots lie, but we do know and we can't, I don't even wanna, we can't even assume. I would say that we would actually know that this woman was born into the practice of voodoo. She had been witnessing um, most, more than likely performing at a young age, um, adolescent on up, healing people from the time that she could probably speak. And that is the truth. That's the truth. That's the way that the tradition and the practice is passed on.
So I, I love that. And I love that we are telling the backstory because this is something that is left out. If you guys do the research on Julia, you'll see that most of what is talked about um, has to do with her legend and not her backstory. So I'm happy that we're giving light to that today. We're shining light on that because that is so important to understand just how powerful this woman was. Thank you so much for that, Toya. Exactly. You know, one thing that really stuck out to me about her story was the emphasis that people put on her premonitions. And we live in a day and age where I feel like we've gotten away from that. You know, there are only the far and the few who really truly believe in their premonitions or even speak of them to other people. A lot of us, we rely more on, you know, our cards, we rely on our, you know, everything else and all of the commercialized things or what we consider or what we think or what we train to believe is divination. And, you know, I'm not going to go into that today about the, the difference between divination and fortune telling. But premonitions are so important to our practice and to our folklore and to our legends because premonitions have saved the lives of many people. And there are those of us, the far and the few who, who do walk with this type of gift. And one thing I can even say, just personalizing this story in my own life is I had to learn how to trust my premonitions. I had to learn how to understand the things that I was seeing was real and that I needed to pay attention to this and that when I didn't, something chaotic tends to happen. And we will see that as it relates to our girl today, excuse me, this powerful woman today, Miss Julia Brown. Well, right now she's still Julia Bernard in this part of the story. And the reason why we wanted to even speak on her maiden name, because before she was Julia Brown, she was Julia Bernard. Julia Bernard came with 20 years of indigenous medicinal training. She was a tenured fortune teller by the time she even hit the streets of New Orleans in her early 20s. Do you guys understand what type of responsibility this young woman had at 20 something years old? The responsibility of laying hands on people but truly going to where she was needed, where there was a need for a doctor or a spiritist. She was there in person, laying hands and utilizing the tools that she learned as it was passed down to her. It looks so much different. So let's continue along with our story. Around this time in New Orleans that practicing openly a voodoo, hoodoo, or any spiritual type of work without papers, the gifted medium spoke heavily on this around this time that these things were considered illegal, okay? That plays a big part into this story as well, that what she was doing technically was illegal. You had to have papers. Some type of paper saying that you were a spiritualist and not a voodoo worker or something like that. So I implore you to go listen to the gifted medium because she speaks a lot about this as it relates to New Orleans. So 
Julia Bernard leaves New Orleans and she moves to a small town right on the edge of Lake Pontchartrain. Now, this is important as well. For those of you who know the geography of Louisiana, if you've been to New Orleans before, Lake Pontchartrain is huge. It is massive. Okay, and there are little towns along it. And around this time, she moved to a town called Frenier which was originally a logging town. They were supposed to sell timber. These two German brothers founded this town to sell timber. Well, that didn't work out too well for them, but however, the people in the town were able to grow cabbage. Cabbage, a lot of cabbage was grown in this town. So the industry that they created in Frontier was cabbage and sauerkraut. They exported sauerkraut to Chicago. This town had no electricity. This town had no lights. Even though their industrial side was significant, it was still a very, very poor town. I mean, think about it. The best thing that we have in this town is cabbage. Cabbage is still, even in today with inflated food prices, cabbage is still one of the cheapest things that you can buy in a grocery store, even today. So I want you guys to understand the backdrop of the place that she moved to. Most importantly, in this town, there were no doctors. So Miss Bernard, not only was she gifted, she was smart. She moved out of New Orleans, probably because there was competition there. She moved to a town where she was needed because there were no doctors, there were no spiritists. So she said, okay, I'll go. So she gets to Frontier. Which is 25 miles from New Orleans. I want you guys to understand that too. That in those day and times, she still was going back to New Orleans to do her work. She was still a doctor in New Orleans. But she also took on another town that was a few miles up the road called Rudok as well, or Ruddock, however you pronounce it. When she got to Frenier, her practice evolved, okay? She went from just being the, the fortune teller and the healer, she began to take on the responsibilities of midwife as well. You have to remember there were no doctors in the town. She was the only person in that town, in that area who had medical training. So she delivered all of the babies in town as well. She would also travel. She would travel to Rudolph to treat her patients and from what people said about her, she was heavily relied on. And before I pass this back to Toya, I just want you all to remember, we are still at a portion in, in her story where she still has not become Miss Julia Brown. Okay, Sarah, so what are we talking about here? What do we have? We have Miss Julia Bernard, who is in her early 20s. And, and just to give you guys just kind of some insight on the magnitude of what this woman was taking on in her, her 20s. I'm going to use the word doctor. I'm going to say that she was a doctor. And here's why. 
Because you could come to this woman with any type of ailment throughout the entire human anatomy and she would treat you and she would heal you. And not only was she treating and healing illnesses, she also was delivering babies. And I know that there are a lot of doulas out there and things of that nature, but understand that she was doing all of this for three towns. And back then, when it comes to travel, we know that there the only way that you got around really was walking. They did have a, a train, but we're talking about a black woman in the 1800s. So most likely she wasn't on that train. She was walking. The fact that she practiced voodoo also takes devotion to spirit. So the, the amount of energy and care and focus that this woman had is unbelievable. As Sears said, there was no electricity, there was no light, yet she was performing all of this healing and delivering babies without anything for three towns. So I think that when we think in terms of who Julia really was, she was way beyond just a regular spiritualist or healer. I mean, this woman was just simply amazing. I know for me, and I know for a lot of practitioners out here, you can only do so many readings in one day because of the amount of energy that it takes and the amount of energy that you have to put out and put into speaking to ancestors and things of that nature. So if you can imagine, and those of you who practice voodoo too, the devotion to spirit and what she had to give out to spirit. And then on top of that, take care of every single illness that a person has without any, I wouldn't say prior medical training, but I would say, you know, without any type of official medical training. Everything that she knew about human anatomy and healing came from her background, came from practitioners who practiced voodoo. She had no medical books. She had no science to back her, none of that. But she was actually healing people, taking care of them. She was delivering their babies and their babies. And I'm not saying all of them, I don't know, but for the most part, I think they lived. So we have to really grasp the magnitude of what this young woman was doing and just how powerful she was in her twenties. When I thought about that, I was kind of beside myself because I know how much energy it takes just to care for one person, just to care for myself, but to care for three towns. I mean, I don't know about you, Sierra, but this woman was bad. It makes me think about the attitude a lot of us have nowadays. And I think before we even get into the whole curse part portion of this story you see how far we've gotten and we haven't even brought up this part yet this is why i think it's so important you really need to put some respect on her name 
because we live in a day and age where most of us are complaining but if we have to get up out of our house and go to work most of us complain if we sit at a computer or a phone all day doing tarot or cardamancy readings all day and how much that drains us but nobody thinks about these old school practitioners who had no cars who had no social media who didn't have tarot who didn't even have cars in some cases and they got up off of their ass and they went to where they were needed I mean, that's humbling right there. When you go to where you're needed, I'm not like, you know, a lot of us have this attitude and I'm just going to let you come to me. Spirit going to direct you to me. Well, what about when spirit directs you to go to where you are in need? How many of you have been directed to go somewhere where you are in need and you're still sitting where you are, right? It's a lot of character that can be learned from these older practitioners even as we do these entertaining stories about you know curses and you know omens and things of that nature i still feel like there's a lot of character building that you can pull from this woman as a spiritist yourself so moving forward and i'm gonna let toya take the lead on this one but before i give her back the mic i want y'all to understand too that we have crossed over 20 years of this woman's life. We haven't talked about a husband, a boyfriend, any of that yet. She's pretty much dedicated her entire life to helping other people. However, she does meet someone in 1880. She's 35 years old. 35 years old. In 1880, 35 was the equivalent to a woman being about 55 no disrespect to women but i'm just talking about this you know being historically accurate she meets celestine brown who was a laborer in frenier and these two got married when she was 35 years old and i think that this is a portion of the story that a lot of people leave out and my spirit was telling me as we were scripting this and as we were doing our research and just kind of filling in the holes, my spirit kept telling me that 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 Celestine played a huge role in this. Um, I'm gonna let Toya go more into detail about that, but I just wanna let you guys know that, you know, these two were married for 34 years. They were married for 34 years. Not only that, Celestine inherited 40 acres of land it was swamp land but he still inherited 40 acres of land now most of us can't even afford three acres of land in 2022 but here you have a woman and her husband in the 1880s with over 40 with 40 acres of land they're married it's the 1880s and it's two black people with 40 acres of land the man has a good job and his wife is an established practitioner of 35 years, servicing two towns in one major city. The Hoodoo and Chill podcast will return after this short ad break. Hey, are you enjoying the show? If so, don't forget to follow Hoodoo and Chill on Apple and Spotify and leave us a five-star rating. Tell us what you love about the show in the reviews. We love to hear from you. To keep this free content on air, Please support the show by sending a donation of love using one of the donation links in the descriptions. Donations keep our podcasts alive and also give us the ability to enhance our content. We graciously thank you for your support. Now, back to the show. Okay, so this 
to me is so important. And 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 like you said, Sarah, I I can't believe that when people tell this story, they leave this portion out. The fact that this woman was married for 34 years, which means that she found that person. She found that one person who loved her, who cared for her. They took care of each other. This was in the 1800s and these were two black people who owned a huge amount of property. Now, those of us who are practitioners and um, those of us who practice voodoo, we know that it's a lifestyle. This woman and her husband own land, their home. She had a great career. He was a wonderful provider. So you better believe that not only was she taking care of the town, but she was taking care of her husband and her family by making sure that she did practices and healings for her and for him, for prosperity, for protection. Because we all know that back then, if they could have, they would have taken that land. So she had to be on the up and up with her practice at home as well. 34 years, which means that they lived long lives. So they were healthy. They had abundance. They had love. They had connection. They had a good life. And believe you me, and this is where the story is going to kind of turn. She loved that town. She loved taking care of people. Because if you know anything about voodoo, you know that voodoo is about healing and it is about community. And this woman showed and took great pride in that. That's what it's about. That's the portion that I hate is left out about this story. Because when we hear about this story, it's so focused on this quote unquote curse that we're going to talk about. But she loved this town. She loved servicing people. She loved healing people. She loved her husband. Julia loved her life and she had a good life. You know, before I move forward with the story, I just kind of want to bring everybody to a meditative point, because if you don't understand this portion of the story, you will demonize her towards the end of this story. And our goal today is to humanize her and her life. I think about a woman who spent the first 34 years of her life single in slavery, or at least living amongst it. She didn't get to go to Vegas when she turned 21. She didn't have all of these fabulous veneration sweet 16s and all of these things that we just do on ourselves and trips to dubai and tulum and all she didn't have none of that her 20s were spent servicing other people walking from town to town in the 1800s as a black woman by herself taking care of everybody who's to say she didn't even service i truly believe she had to do some type of service in the civil war as a nurse i truly believe that because it would only make sense. But that's neither here nor there. 
she spent the first 34 years of her life a single black woman doing this and then she falls in love but not only does she fall in love she falls in love with a provider he comes with 40 acres of land. Who's to say that she didn't help him manifest that ritually? Because they didn't have that when they got married. That was something that was blessed to them. Who's to say she didn't play a part in that? She was living on a land where she could go gather her herbs and her roots. And everything that she needed, it was from 40 acres, it was right there. She, she had it. I think about how connected she was and had to have been to live in a swamp with the snakes and the alligators in the wild pigs and everything else. This was a strong woman. But after 34 years of having to be a single strong woman, you get a strong black man. They loved each other. They spent 34 years together in that swamp on those 40 acres. This had to have been a strong man because nobody took the land from them. That's very significant here. Nobody took their land. This man had to have been some type of strong protector of her. Julia Brown was powerful, but she also spent 34 years of her life with a provider and a protector as well. And I think that for us not to talk about Celestine Brown is to not truly tell her story and you're not going to truly understand her story. And also, you know what's here? To talk about Celestine Brown, knowing who his wife was, you better believe that he was behind her 100%. And what she was doing, he believed in her gifts, he believed in her abilities. And when you, when you think about it in that context and you start to think about what they had, like you said, the 40 acres, I would not be surprised if they did not work together to get that land. If they did not work together to keep away the law, to keep away the thieves and the criminals, because he knew the power in his wife and he supported that, believed that for those 34 years. I think about him going out into the swamp and maybe gathering herbs for her that she was scared to go get, you know, just because of the terrain and stuff like that. I think about those two, the gardens they would have grew together and the food they would have grown together. You know, I just think about like 40 acres, 34 years, you know, and he was a farmer and she was a root lady. I mean, I can only imagine what was growing around them and how they tended that land and how much love she had to have poured into that land of 34 years. And tending the land, it was the only two of them. That's it. And she was out walking from town to town and healing everybody and delivering babies while he's tending 40 acres of land. These are some powerful individuals. So let's get back into our story. Celestine dies in 1914. And this date is significant as well. So just remember 1914. Julia inherits the 40 acres of land. Now at this time, Julia is 69 years old. Okay, now this isn't 
your grandmother's 69. That still look, you know, this isn't your grandmother's 69. This is a woman who's been a wife, a practitioner, a doula, a spiritist, a therapist, a doctor, a nurse, a mother, everything for the last 69 years of her life, okay? So she inherits this 40 acres of land. And this is where the story kind of twists and where it kind of turns. Because around this time, this is where people start talking about how Julia wasn't appreciated. And people in town started to shun her. And how, you know, she kind of lived alone and, and, and away from everybody. And people, they, while they appreciated her services... And she was necessary because of her medical knowledge. People really didn't like her. Some people will say that she was well-liked. Some people will say that she wasn't. Or people kind of stayed away from her. Now, that, you know, is historical even in today you know a lot of people who are practitioners or spiritists and very open with their practice um especially those who practice in voodoo and hoodoo once somebody knows or people have this notion of it or you're open with it is you're not always the most well-liked person in the room you know i think a lot of times us as spiritists because we have the ability to put ourselves amongst our communities now in 2022 we forget that not everyone is keen to this not everyone sees the beauty in what you're doing and not everyone is going to accept it at all okay there's still going to be people with a very negative opinion of who you are in your spiritual practices or your religion so Julia was living during a time when superstition was very much over the top and you know people were very much easily demonized it wasn't so look at this beautiful practice of indigenous spirituality it was very much you're a witch you do voodoo stay away from me I'm gonna stay away from you I also think that this gives us historical evidence that Julia may have been a two-headed worker you know, if she was the only spiritist in those towns at that time, or the most accessible one at that time, it would make sense that not only was she working in abundance and healing, but there were people who came to her for other things as well. There were no police officers. So if they needed justice, they needed to come to the root lady who could help deliver justice. So, you know, Julia was used, in my opinion, used, and I'm going to use that term very much, used, to really pretty much take care of two towns of people, whether it was delivering their babies, whether if it was hexing their neighbor, bringing love, bringing fortune to them. I mean, they were all pulling at this woman for 34 years. I mean, that's how long she lived in this town. I mean, excuse me, over 30 years. That's how long she lived in this town. Well, we see a shift in Julia as well. And this is where Toy and I had to really break down what we think happened here. But we see a shift in Julia around this time as well. Literally a year after her husband died, Julia passes away. But before she passes away, she starts singing this song around town on her porch. One version of it says, one day I'm going to die and take the whole town with me. 
another version of it goes oh when i die i'll take half of frenier with me and it was september 29th excuse me september 29th when she died 1915 they had a funeral for her and they buried her they put her in a box and they put her body in they're getting ready to put her body in this casket well the winds start blowing really really loud they've been blowing kind of crazy all day they've been kind of like this air or this notion that a storm was coming on that day and as they are trying to have her funeral the the hurricane of new orleans of 1915 who's a category four hurricane it made landfall near grand island louisiana and was the most intense tropical cyclone during the 1915 hurricane season the storm formed in late September, and when it moved westward, it peaked at 145 miles an hour. It hit landfall at record speeds of 126 miles per hour. This hurricane killed 275 people and caused over $13 million in damage, and this was in 1915. Of those 275 people, over half of them were from Frenier and Rudock, the towns where Miss Julia Brown has serviced. When she died, the legend has it, and even authorities were going around saying that she cursed the town, that she brought this hurricane, and that she was the one responsible for all of the death. The town of Frenier literally was leveled nothing left every house every business it was gone even to this day you can still go see frontier it's underwater um there's a grave there of all of the people that died they it's still there you can go see it and they still believe that julia brown haunts those swamps they can say that when you go there you will feel or see her spirit um so this is this is a real thing this town is still underwater to this day so where we come here and this is where Toy had our biggest discussion is, do you believe that she conjured this storm? Or do you think that this was all just coincidence? So this is where we had our big discussion. You have a woman, a black woman, who's 70 years old, who now has inherited 40 acres of land her love, her protector, her life partner is gone. What do you think happened to her in this town that would cause her to start singing songs about taking the town with her when she dies? You see, when we started telling the story of Julia, Bernard Brown. We told you guys how she was this strong woman who had to really care and be devoted and focused in order to take care of all these people, deliver all these babies. She had to be trusted by these individuals in these different towns and all three. So this wasn't just a simple 180. It couldn't have been. What would make her turn on the people that she so eagerly cared for and healed? 
I think they tried to take her land. I think they tried to take her land too. But here's another thing, Sarah. Here's something that we didn't discuss that I didn't think about. And I'm so happy you brought up her husband. There was never any indication of how he died. He could have been, because we know he had these 40 acres and he was a wonderful protector. What if they killed him? So it wasn't just the land that they were trying to take from her. They took the love of her life. They took her life, basically. Because a year after he died, she died. We don't know how the husband died. That's a theory. That's definitely a theory. I didn't, I, but you know what? I, I'm going to be honest with you. I do feel like there's more to the story as it relates to the husband. And I really do feel like he plays a bigger piece in this than what they're trying to let on. So I do agree with that. I think that my theory is this. I don't think that she conjured this storm. I don't think that. I believe that she knew this storm was coming because before anything, she was a fortune teller. She was a diviner. She was a seer first. That was the first thing people always spoke about was her gift of premonition. The old Julia Brown probably would have told the, told everyone that this storm was coming. She didn't say a word. She kind of honestly, in my opinion, kind of just laughed in their face and she knew the storm was coming. I think after her husband died, this is a 69-year-old, almost 70-year-old woman with 40 acres of land, and she's by herself. I think they were trying to take her land. I think they were being aggressive about it. She might have really started working some dark magic at this time because, you know, like, they're trying to, they're trying to mess with her. But one thing I know I've noticed about people in their seniorship and as they start to come to older in, in their life is, like, they hold on as long as they want to hold on. And when they're ready to go, they let go. And I think one year after her husband died, that was, you know, that was the love of her life. That was all she had. She didn't service this town. She didn't deliver every baby in this town. Y'all turning on her. You trying to take my land at that. She just, she, she, she let go. And she says, you know what? When I go, a lot of y'all coming with me. She didn't say nothing about this hurricane. She knew it was coming. She saw it coming. She saw exactly what it was going to do. And she said nothing. And she just let, she let justice be served in her own way by just, like, she knew what was up. That's my theory on it. And so I agree. I agree with the fact that she knew the hurricane was coming. But I also, something, something about this story and the divine timing of the fact that the hurricane happened during her funeral leads me to believe and there are ways that you can make this happen. You make pacts with Loa, and I'm not going to get into that. You got to remember, this is a part that we did not discuss, that we didn't bring up. They had started calling Julia, Julia Black and Julia White. They started calling her that because they started to demonize her. They started to say that she was basically, you know, doing everything that, uh, you know, a, a devil worshiper or a witch or whatever you want to call it would do. So there was the burn the witch factor. This had started going around about Julia. So they changed her name. So I don't actually think it was, it was just one thing. I think it was multiple things. Yes, the land. 
definitely the land. But I also think it had something to do with her husband. And I also think that it had to do with the fact that the town turned on her. So it wasn't they Julia were jealous. who cursed You got the this town. witch sitting on 40 acres of land. And yes. Black. You got this black that witch part. sitting on 40 acres of land. Come on now. Like, I'm really in a town. And you said this this morning. And it hit so hard when you said it. You said, you got to remember, Sierra, this is a town where the best thing you could do for yourself was grow cabbage. And you got this black, quote-unquote, voodoo witch sitting on 40 acres of land. They probably have been harassing her and her husband prior to his death. Who's to say that the harassment didn't drive the husband to his death? These were healthy people. Absolutely. So with that, when we talk about curses and her cursing the town, it wasn't her who cursed the town. It was the town who cursed themselves. They went after her. She was servicing this town and two other towns, breaking her back, basically, to deliver their babies and heal them. And all of a sudden now, she's Julia Black, Julia White. She's a witch who does dark magic, who curses people. She has 40 acres of land that they want. She's sitting over there with a husband now. Her husband's gone. The protector's gone. So we're going to go after her. They went after her. And that, to me, was the repercussion and the effect of them going after her. Did she know the storm was coming? Absolutely. But at the same time, because of the timing, just because of the timing, if, if there wasn't a timing factor of the storm happening exactly when her funeral was happening, I would think that it was just a premonition. But because of the timing, I think that more was going on. I think that she sat on that porch and those were not warnings and premonitions for people. I think that those were chants. Those were chants where she sat on her porch and she chanted about the fact that when she dies, she's taking the town with her because not only are you not taking from her what you tried to take in life, you are also not taking it in death. No one's getting it. See, now you have me theorizing here because why? this is why I say her heritage is very important for me to know. I really wish I knew who her grandmother or her mother was or, or father or grandfather because there are very, very esoteric rituals of shifting the weather people forget that people have danced for rain and beat drums for rain and chanted and prayed for rains and storms for centuries and it works and there are some people out here who are connected like that where it's like it's just something with their emotions the weather does shift so who's to say that her heritage did not derive from people who knew this and she knew how to do this and before she died that was like her last little like you know what y'all want to play this game i'm gonna play my game you know like who's to say that too it's so many ways that we could theorize this and that's why i think that it's important instead of to just demonize her but to really sit back and pay attention to all of the historical evidence that surrounds this story and you can come up with your own theory about what happened with julia brown 
like I said, for me, I don't think that she conjured the storm. I think that she knew it was coming, and she just said, "All right." And she didn't say anything. She said, "You know what? <laughs> y'all, y'all don't care about me anyway, so figure it out on your own. I'm gonna leave." And she died at the right time because she said, "I'm not." She knew she couldn't even survive. That she'd have been seventy years old. She knew that she, with no man, no husband around, she by herself. She's old. She just she couldn't do it. She let go, and she didn't tell anybody. That makes sense to me. But hey. This is why this is hoodoo and chill, and you can come up with your own, your own evidence, your own theory, or whatever this means to you. I think we can land here, and I think Toy, this has definitely been one of our most intriguing shows, to say the least. And yes, I yes, it has. You know what? And if you guys have theories, like drop them, drop them. Let us know what you think. You've heard our theories. You heard what we thought about it. You heard Seer what, what he said. She just let go. Me? Nah. The timing. I, I can't get past the timing factor, Seer. I can't. It was timed too perfectly. It was timed during her funeral. She knew it. She was a gifted Seer. She knew the time when it was going to come and she let go. Like, I've watched old people let go right at the right moment. Like, they they'll sit in the hospital for days dying until they see their child or something like that then the moment they see them then they let but them. who said she was dying they had just seen her on the porch playing the guitar oh but who's to say that a broken heart didn't cause her to have bad health celestine was gone these are theories y'all <laughs> so if you have a theory let's hear it guys Thank you so much for joining us today. We had so much fun with this story. We had an amazing time, and I wish we had more time that we could stay here and just keep this going. But before we go, I just do want to remind everybody, thank you so much for you know tuning in to Who to Win Chill. Check out some of our other episodes. And like I said, season five, we are going to be bringing you more content like this. So as always, each and every last one of you are strong. You are powerful, you are capable, you are gifted. I ask that today, this Monday, sheds nothing but light, love, blessings, abundance, and prosperity, as well as a cloak of protection over you. I send you out today in confidence. I bless your hands, okay? The left one and the right one. May they be like gold. May all the things that you touch manifest as if it were gold. My people, you come from the best of the best. Doctors, lawyers, warriors, kings, queens, magicians, so on and so forth. So with that, I send you out in love and light and we release you into the atmosphere. Thank you so much for tuning into Who to Win Chill. Although we may never know what happened with Julia Brown, just having the opportunity to discuss her life, who she was, Julia Bernard, as well as Celestine, this was an honor and a pleasure today. Help us keep our free content on air by sending a donation of love. We appreciate all of our listeners all across the globe. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Who Do and Chill.